3: hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes.
2: Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for...
1: $90. Leave the gun. Take
4: the cannoli.
3: Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Wally Mayer stars as the reckless, red-headed Irish detective, Michael Shane, on The Adventures of Michael Shane from 1945. Then it's part one of Fibber McGee and Molly, starring Jim and Marion Jordan from 1940. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf, no E. No. What's up, Lisa? What's
5: up, Carl? Yeah,
1: what's happening? How well, are you? How was your week? Week? Yeah. Oh, boy. How was, was your It week? a whole
5: week. Well, I was out of town this week, so yeah, I had a lot of right. fun. She Spent was in New, in New York. Yeah. Here. Yep.
1: And then two guys tried to sell you tickets to... A show that didn't exist.
5: Yeah, I bought them. Yeah, yeah I bought those tickets. And two street no uh, con show. artists
1: uh, yeah. found Lisa. She, yeah. you must have looked like a tourist. You must I, have been, I
5: can't imagine. Were why. you with Dan, your husband? I was.
1: Okay, so these two con artists in New York went up to poor little Lisa Wolf, conned her out of sixty bucks.
5: Yeah, it's true. Yeah, oh, yeah. you man. know, it was the Fourth of July. Maybe yeah. we were all dressed for the Fourth of July, feeling good. Here's the
1: first thing. Hey, we have two tickets to see Amy Schumer. They're only $30 a piece. What were you thinking? (laughs) You know, I can
5: look back and say I was really stupid, but at the moment I was...
1: You were all Schumerized.
5: I was... You know, dragged into yeah, all of it.
1: You were shoemarized.
5: You know, I yeah. know it won't happen again. No, I did learn my lesson. You learned your
1: lesson. Sixty bucks so, later.
5: That's right. It could have been worse. You could have yeah. grabbed the whole wall and ran. This and is
1: true. That this would have true. been worse. So all right. So anyhow, on the what's happening on the other coast right, in Hollywood? Right. So there's
5: a website called Box Office Mojo.
1: Right. I've heard it, of it.
5: Right. They track how much money movies make. Right. And so we just found out that this actress
1: mm-hmm. was
5: ranked as Hollywood's top grossing actress okay this year.
1: wow right? that's interesting so Ooh.
5: and i will give Gotta you her. think thing. who it is she made over 3.3 3 billion dollars so she, well, she
1: was in movies that did three that's
5: 3. correct
1: huh that's interesting that's correct i'm gonna say it's the girl from star wars
5: no, I'll give you a clue. Okay. You really like her.
1: Oh, wow. I really like you her? You
5: do. It's not Amy Schumer. And
1: So is it... it well, when you say I really like her, it, it must be Jennifer Aniston, because that's who I really like.
5: Yeah, you like her, too, yeah. though.
1: And if Jennifer, if you're listening... My number is eight four seven. <laughs> is she a comedian?
5: No, she's an actress. She's okay, an actress. I'll, I'll give you another clue. All right. She has worked a lot with Woody Allen, who we were talking with earlier.
1: Oh, you're talking about yeah, yeah, I just yeah, yeah. Of that. The blonde. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yes, I do like her. I yeah, know yeah. you do. You're I right know you do like her. And
5: the second top grossing female uh-huh. is Cameron Diaz. Really? Yeah. So
1: I haven't really seen her in that many movies this year.
5: Well, she must have been in.
1: Yeah, she. Must must she have. must
5: have. Um, but in
1: the uh, the first, I'm, I'm surprised it's not Natalie Portman because she was in the Star Wars. Yes, that did tons and tons of money. We should uh, check her well, out. See maybe she Cameron wasn't. Diaz. Maybe she wasn't in this last Star Wars movie, though. I don't know. I didn't see it.
5: I didn't either. So
1: maybe I'm I'm mistaken. But go ahead.
5: But, but the first place overall is yeah. an actor, right? You know who it is. All time Leonardo
1: champion. DiCaprio, four
5: point nine billion dollars. Oh,
1: you're talking about like of all time or just in the last year? Year.
5: No, this is well, I don't know, it's ranked as Hollywood's top grossing oh, actress. Oh, okay.
1: Um so I would an say actor. actor of uh Tom Cruise. It's Harrison Ford. Oh, Harrison Ford. Which yeah. Makes some sense. Well, he was yeah. just in the either recent Star exactly. Wars, you know, Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. Sure. He's great.
5: Yeah, so a lot yeah. of great a lot of great people you should join the club.
1: Yeah. <laughs> one of these days <laughs> right. uh, when one of the, when Steven Spielberg discovers me. That's right. There us. we go. Yeah. Did you say us? I'll bring you along. All right. All right, it's time now for the adventures of Michael Shane. He was a reckless, redheaded Irishman. It was a popular hard boiled private eye created in the late nineteen thirties by American crime novelist Brett Halliday. Mike blew into Miami just after World War II, making crime pay by fighting it with a license and an attitude. Like Mike Hammer and Philip Marlowe, Shane was a loner. In the first of the holiday novels, he's happily married, but suddenly his wife is tragically murdered, and that hits Mike hard. Grief-stricken, Shane loses himself in the gumshoe grind, prowling the streets of Miami in search of criminals. A radio version of Mike's Exploits debuted in the fall of 1944, starring Wally Mayer. By 1948, Jeff Chandler, radio's bashful biologist Philip Boynton, on Our Miss Brooks was cast as Shane. In the early 1960s, NBC brought Michael Shane to television starring Richard Denning in an hour-long format that went up against CBS's The Twilight Zone. It lasted just 32 episodes, and I wonder why, because Twilight Zone kicked its butt. All right, it's time now for a radio episode of Michael Shane Detective. Let's go back to April sixteenth, nineteen forty-five. This is called "The Date at Cliff House" or "The Left-handed Clue," starring Wally Mayer. Here's part one of Michael Shane Detective.
2: The Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. People who make 76 gasoline and Triton Motor Oil, Union Oil Company present The Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective, starring Wally Mayer and Kathy Lewis. Most private detectives, when they're called into a case by a wealthy patron, are ushered into the library or the gun room or the master's private den. Not so, private detective Michael Shane and his attractive assistant Phyllis Knight. Oh, no. They find themselves at San Francisco's Cliff House to keep a date with... Well, let Phyllis tell it, which she is doing without any of the poetry she knows so well.
6: Now, there's no use arguing, Mike Shane. If she weren't a blonde and good-looking, you'd have turned the case down.
2: For the
4: thousandth time, honey, I tell you, I haven't seen the girl. Oh, really? She isn't blonde, and I don't know whether or not she's good-looking.
6: I'll bet, I'll bet. I
4: only know, honey, that she's frightened. Uh She said she was a brunette, five foot two and wearing a Kelly green raincoat.
6: Well, then there she is, Hmm? staring out the window.
4: Right, Angel. Well, leave us ankle over.
6: You know, she does look scared. Oh, she saw us. Hey, does she know you?
4: No, but I told her I was bringing you along and there aren't any other couples around.
7: Mr. Shane and Miss Knight? Correct.
4: You, Miss Jones? Well, no. Well,
7: that is, I used that name over the phone, but my real name is Wright. Not Patricia Wright? Yes. Hmm? Oh, then it was your brother. I mean, I read the article in the papers. Say, what is all this? My brother was killed Monday. The police said it was an accident. He fell over the cliff, they
4: said, but... But you think he was killed <laughs> deliberately? Yes. Uh, Murdered, in fact? Yes. Why?
7: I just know he was pushed over that cliff.
4: And now, whom do you suspect?
7: I don't know. My father's manager, Mr. Haberman, for one, and Mm -hmm. and a Mr. Armstrong, a businessman dealing with my father, and... And...
4: And your father?
7: Yes. Well, not that I think my father killed my brother, no, but... Well, I am suspicious of some of my father's business dealings and very suspicious of some of his associates. Uh, Miss Wright, your brother was in the business with your father? Yes, and, well, he didn't approve of some of their deals.
4: Did he complain to you or to your father or both?
6: Both. They've had bitter quarrels over some of their transactions. How about you, Miss Wright? Are you afraid for your own life? Yes, terribly afraid.
4: Okay. Okay, that settles it so far as I'm concerned. We'll take the case. Now, uh... How about going out to your place and looking over the ground?
7: But hmm? we can't. That's why I used the assumed name, and that's why I met you here instead of at the house.
4: Listen, Patricia. Your best safeguard is to let the murderer know that you have a detective on the job. The very fact that you've engaged me will make them wonder how much you know.
6: We'll watch out for you, Miss Wright. Nothing's going to happen to you while Mike's on the job. Well, all right, I'll do it
7: fine.
4: Good. get in your car, then, and we'll follow you out, and even if he turns out to be your father, we'll get the killer. (laughs)
7: It's over here, just by that white post. That's where he, he fell.
4: Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Did they uh, did they take your brother's body away from the bottom of the cliff or uh, bring it up here on ropes?
7: They took it away from the bottom in a boat.
4: I see. Was there much of a crowd here at the top?
7: No. Why?
4: Well, there are a lot of footprints here. The I ground see. is pretty well tramped down.
7: But there weren't any people here at all. This is private property.
4: The murderer tramped the ground to confuse... Hey, wait a minute.
6: What? What is it, Mike?
4: Honey, you see those marks? Yeah. Those marks were made by a dead man's heels as his body was dragged to the edge of the cliff and thrown over.
6: And the killer hid behind the tree.
4: Yes, and probably hit his victim with a rock. Yeah. Uh, Patricia, did your brother have a date with anyone the night he was killed?
7: Yes, with Mr. Haberman, Daddy's partner. Mr. Haberman came out to the house at 8 Mm -hmm. o'clock. said that he'd made an appointment to meet my brother. But about 10 o'clock, he decided to go home. Just as he was leaving, the chauffeur came to the door and said that they'd found the body down on the rocks below the cliff.
4: Was the chauffeur looking for your brother?
7: No, we didn't know anything was wrong then. The chauffeur was out fishing and was just coming into the little cove when he saw a hat on the water. He turned the boat along the rocks and found my brother's body.
6: The chauffeur is up at the house now? No, he left.
4: He left? He left? What do you mean?
6: Well, He'd been doing a lot of drinking and my brother fired him about a week ago. Oh, Fine. We seem to be turning up suspects wherever we move.
4: Yeah, right angel. Well, Miss Patricia, will you get your father's manager and Mr. Armstrong up to the house right away? Use any excuse at all. I'll get Inspector Faraday to find the chauffeur, and we'll have a little quiz contest with Mike Shane as quizmaster. <laughs>
0: I don't know what on earth you could be thinking of, Patricia, to do such a thing. But, Daddy... Not another word. You tell this Shane fellow to get about his business. When any private detectives are hired to come to this house, I'll do the hiring.
7: Daddy, I'm more convinced than ever that my brother was murdered.
0: Murdered? Stuff and nonsense. My dear, you're upset. I don't blame you for that. You were very fond of your brother. But thinking for one moment that any of my business associates could be guilty of such a thing... The idea of dragging Mr. Haberman and Mr. Armstrong out here to be cross-questioned by a a private detective. Why, it isn't as if there was any suspicion about your brother's death. The police were satisfied it was an accident. I'm not satisfied, however, Mr. Wright. Who are you, sir?
4: Michael Shane, private detective, and this is my assistant, Miss
0: Knight.
6: Hello, I'm very happy to meet you, Mr. Wright.
0: I'm sorry I can't say the same. Hmm? I hate to appear impolite, but I must ask you to leave my house immediately.
6: Well, let's go, Mike. We don't have to take this sort
0: of thing from anybody. Uh,
4: just a minute, Angel. Oh,
0: well, really?
4: Mr. Wright, I suppose you realize that by your attitude, you're casting a lot of unnecessary suspicion mm-hmm. on yourself. Why,
0: you impudent young whelp. If I were a younger man, I'd thrash you within an inch of your life, you... Will you leave quietly or will I have to have you thrown out? Evidently, there's company at the door, and I'd much prefer not to have to introduce you.
4: Oddly, sir, but to Mr. Faraday. Faraday? Detective Inspector Faraday, sir. With a chauffeur, sir. Hello, Mike. Fellas? Hello, Inspector. Mr. Wright here was just about to order us thrown out. Huh. He won't
3: have a private detective around the place. I see. Well, maybe he'll let you stay as my assistant. What on earth are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that we're here to investigate the death of your son. i would just as soon get on with the questioning if you haven't any objections you have everybody come in here?
6: Uh, Inspector, oh. they're all
3: out in the front hall. I don't, don't know what because... this is all about. I'm only the chauffeur. I haven't done anything. I'll sue you for arresting me. That's right. Be sure and do that. All right, into the front hall. Well, which one of you is Haberman? I'm Mr. Haberman. Why? And Armstrong, that's you, I suppose. Mm-hmm, correct. Now, I don't know much about this except what Mike told me over the phone, but I understand that you, Mr. Haberman... Had an appointment with Mr. Wright, Jr., the deceased, the evening he was killed.
4: Yes, that is true. Uh, what was that meeting about? Well,
3: I don't see that's any of your business. You Mm -hmm. can answer that question here and now or at headquarters later. Take your choice. Well, uh, it was a business matter. Don't answer him. But Wright, if I don't, he'll take
0: me
4: in and... And he'll have to answer in the long run. It was uh, business, and young Mr. Wright was going to tell you that he wouldn't play along with the kind of deal you and his father were cooking up, correct? Well, that's putting it rather strongly. Hmm. He was a young fellow, too many idealistic ideas for the business world. I was quite certain I could straighten him out when we sat down and talked it
3: over. And when he wouldn't listen, you threatened his life? Of course not. You didn't see him that night at all? No, I didn't.
6: And you weren't anywhere near the top of the cliff between 8 and 10.30?
3: I most certainly was not. Can you prove that?
0: I can. I sat and talked with Mr. Haberman all evening.
3: And Mr. Armstrong, I suppose you have an alibi too? Well, I don't know.
2: I think I was at a picture show that night, but I wasn't keeping track of my movements. Uh, I wasn't anywhere near this house, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, Inspector. Yes, Mike. Come here. I think
3: we ought to do some checking uh, on the murdered man's papers. We might find something that would give us a leave.
2: You're probably
3: right, Mike. Okay, you can all go now. But don't leave the place. We may want to do a few more answers before we leave. Uh, Miss Patricia.
7: Yes, Inspector.
3: Will you take us to your brother's room? We'll see what that leads us to. <laughs> Did you find anything, honey?
6: Uh-uh. Nothing important, Mike. How about you,
3: Inspector? Nothing. I hope we're not on a wild goose <clears throat> chase. Oh,
6: I know we're not.
4: Hey, wait a
3: minute. Wait a minute. Here's something. What, what is it, you Mike? What Mike? It's a memo pad.
4: Here's an entry. It says, ''Must talk to Father about Haberman's inability to do things honestly.'' If he can be so dishonest with the people we are doing business with, there will come a day when he will be as dishonest with us. Hey,
6: Hey, look at that later entry, Mike. The one made the day he was killed. Here. Oh, yes. We'll have showdown with Haberman tonight. Either he goes or I get out of the business. have called him and made appointment for 7 o'clock.
4: Wait a minute. 7 o'clock? Haberman said he made the appointment for 8 o'clock. Yeah, that's right. Come on. Come on, we'd better hurry up looking through this stuff and then a little more questioning for Mr. Hey, hey. Haberman. What's the, what's, the what's the matter, what's the matter? Mr. Shane, Inspector, yeah. it's it's unbelievable, it's horrible. What is
0: it, what is it? No. Haberman, I, I went to the stables a few minutes ago. Go on, go on. Haberman was lying there, dead.
2: It is a few minutes later. Mike, Phyllis, and Inspector Faraday have reached the stables and stand looking down at Haberman's body.
0: Now, how did that happen? Well, he just got too close to Prince, and Prince lashed out and kicked him. I found him lying here when I came by. Was anybody else around the stables? Yes, uh, Armstrong was here, and the groom and the gardener.
4: Isn't it a bit odd that everyone
0: should gather at the stables? No, I don't think so. Everybody's interested in the horses, especially Prince. Why Prince? Well, I've warned them all to keep away from him. He's a killer. Why have you kept him, then? Because I can handle him. So can the stable hands, and he's a very valuable horse. He just lashes out at strangers or people who don't talk to him as they approach him. Mm. Surely you don't think this is murder, too. Mm. Why, it's ridiculous. Nobody in their right mind can have any doubt as to how Haberman was killed. The mark of the horseshoe is his plain,
4: too plain, where you can see the curve of the shoe across his forehead. Perhaps I'm not in my right mind, Mr. Wright, but when two men engaged in the same business die within a few days of each other, I'm suspicious. You and me both, Mike. Mr. Wright... You just walked out from the house and found Haberman lying dead. Well,
0: uh, more or less, I came out from the back of the house. Hmm? Saw that the upper half of the door to Prince's stall was unlatched. I came over to latch it and found Haberman. I couldn't see him lying on the ground from where I was because, as you can see, he was hidden
3: by the water Yes. Yes, I see.
4: So, Inspector, Mm -hmm. depending on how you look at it, everybody has alibis or nobody has an alibi.
3: You're right, Mike. They all have alibis, if they're telling the truth. Well, I most certainly have. I was talking
0: on the telephone from the time I left you until I came out here. The servant saw me in the hall when I was on the phone.
2: Oh, yes, and the chauffeur and the stable boy, Joe, saw me at the back of the stables. I didn't even come around front until Wright called out. That's true. I'm his alibi, and he's mine. <laughs> so I'm
3: afraid,
0: Mr. Shane, you'll have to pin the guilt on the horse
3: after all. Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? Oh, Mike. Yes, Inspector? How about running down to headquarters with me?
4: Okay. But you're going to leave someone here.
3: Well, I hardly think
4: we need... Inspector. Inspector, for 24 hours, I'd like someone posted at the stables and at the west side of the house, looking out toward the cliff. Yeah, but Mike... If only to guarantee the safety of Miss Wright. Okay, Mike. I'll leave the sergeant and one man. Will that satisfy you? Excellent, Inspector. Excellent. Now I'm quite ready to accompany you to headquarters. (laughs)
3: Okay, here you are, Inspector. Report on a threatening telegram. A
0: threatening wire addressed to Haberman was handed in at San Francisco's main
3: office. No one remembers what the man looked like. They paid no attention. Okay, follow through on the chauffeur, will you? Yes, sir. Well, it's not much help. Well, why don't you give up, Mike? After all, we're just following nothing but a hunch from that girl, Patricia.
6: Well, that's right, Mike. I admit it's a bit gruesome having two deaths in the same household, but it's happened before. Oh,
3: there's something wrong about the
4: whole thing.
6: What do you mean, Mike?
4: Well, as I see it, the father, Mr. Wright, isn't above entering into shady deals. No, that seems apparent. So one can legitimately
3: assume that his manager, Haberman, wasn't uh, averse to entering into the same sort of deal. We don't have to assume that. We know it from the son's memo pad. Yeah,
6: that's right. The son actually accused him of being crooked.
3: And we have Armstrong, a business associate. We can assume in his
4: case, too, that he's not above earning a sort of twisted penny.
6: To all of which the son is opposed. To such an extent that he actually puts in writing that he's going to talk to his father and that either the crooked manager goes or he does.
4: Right. And if we assume, too, that the father would rather have his son in the business than the crooked manager, we have motive for murder. For some men, at least.
6: And we have Haberman making a date to see the son.
3: Which Haberman says was for 8 o'clock. But which we know for a fact was at seven o'clock. You're building quite a case, Mike. But it all hinges on supposition. Suppose, Mike, that you're right. Yeah? And if you are right, and Haberman did kill the son, Just has already overtaken him. Yeah, but there's something, something wrong with the whole thing, Inspector.
4: You say I'm building the whole case uh, uh, of a supposition.
6: Well, plus a hunch of the girls, and Mike.
4: And a funny little quirk that keeps running through my own mind. What? Well... When I was a kid, I used to hold horses at the old Fairfax Hunt Club. Yes? Sometimes for a whole day's work, I made two bits. One day, well, I hadn't made my two bits. I guess I was a little on the anxious side. I stepped up too quickly to a horse. He lashed out at me, and I, I jumped back. But that hook with its iron shoe seemed to be following me. It was a huge as huge as a, as a barn door. A great big black iron shoe that would mash my face in from chin to forehead. A great big letter U coming at. Go on, go on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, a big you. That's it. That's what's wrong with the picture. Oh, what a blockhead I've been. Say, what goes? What is it, Mike? Oh, come on, can't you picture Haberman lying there on the ground by the stable? Well, sure I can. Don't you remember what Wright said? The mark of the horseshoe is as plain too plain. You can see the curve of the shoe across his forehead. I remember him saying that, but what an Mike, you're right.
6: Well, I don't get it. I Yes, I do. Haberman would have had to be standing on his head for the horseshoe to have left a mark like
4: that. Ah, the girl, honey, the mark was upside down. Come on, come on. Back to the right stables as fast as that squad car of yours will take us, Faraday. Go right back to the stables, Inspector. We can park there. Right, Mike. I'm going to follow my hunch as long as I'm in the mood. What do you mean, hunch? If I were a killer and had killed a man at the stables... Yes. And I was so certain that everybody would think it was an accident, and so nobody would even think of looking for a weapon... Yeah, yeah. Where would I go to hide the weapon? The, the hayloft. Right. So, come on, up these steps. Here, honey, I'll help you there.
3: Well, I'm not very good at this.
4: Work. I know that, but come on. There we are. Now you mm. take the far end, honey. And I'll
3: right. climb up onto the raft.
4: Okay, and I'll take the scent. It's not behind the speed box. It's not here either.
3: Where's Where's Phyllis?
6: Here. Here, under this load of hay.
3: Okay. Anything up there, Inspector? No, everything up here is covered with dust, so I think this is all in the clear. Okay, come down then before you break your neck. Ooh. What? What is it, honey?
6: Oh, it's something heavy and wet. Huh? And sort of sticky. It, it's blood, Mike.
4: Let me have it. I'll use my handkerchief. There may be fingerprints. What is
6: it?
3: Just a second. Ye gods. Look, Inspector. A heavy piece of timber. Oh,
6: but with a horseshoe nailed to the flat side.
4: Upside down. Okay. Okay, let's keep our find a secret. And continue our
1: quizzing. Mm -hmm. That's the first portion of Michael Shane, Detective from 1945. We'll have the conclusion after this brief word.
0: More Hollywood 360 after these important messages.
1: And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to Michael Shane, Detective.
2: Mike, Phyllis, Inspector Faraday, and Patricia Wright are in the library waiting for the members of the household to put in an appearance.
7: Are you sure you don't want me to get Daddy and
6: the others in here?
4: No, no, not yet. We let them wander in one at a time and take them by surprise. I I have a reason.
6: Hey, uh, what about the chauffeur, Mike?
4: For my money, he's out. Mm -hmm. Why, Mike? Well, as a suspect for the killing of the son who fired him, he was a possibility, but I see no connection between him and Haberman's death.
6: No, perhaps not. Don't forget one thing. He's the alibi for Armstrong, just as Armstrong is his alibi.
4: The way I'm thinking right now, honey, no one has an alibi. What do you mean? When all the suspects have alibis for their actions, and yet you have two bodies to account for, there's only one act- One And answer. that is? Someone, or all of them, are lying. And the alibis mean nothing, so just ignore them.
6: Mike, somebody's coming. That's right.
4: Oh, there you are, Pat. What? Oh, I, I thought you'd all gone back to the city. We did, sir, but we have a few more questions we'd like
0: answered. <laughs> If you don't mind my saying so, I... I think you're not quite bright. Hmm? Meaning what, Mr. Wright? Meaning that you're all following a completely senseless theory, trying to find clues to a murder when no murder's been committed. To everyone but you, it's obvious that Mr. Haberman had been kicked by Prince. Suppose we just skip
4: that for a moment, huh? Uh... Mr. Wright, just exactly what is the relationship between your firm and Mr. Armstrong?
0: I don't see that it's any of your business. Oh, now, let's not go through that route again. If you'd let me finish, I still think it's none of your business, but I'm perfectly willing to tell you. Mr. Armstrong is an agent for some eastern industrial properties which we're considering purchasing. I see.
4: And was Mr. Haberman in complete agreement with you
0: about this purchase? He was up until a few nights ago. Uh, what or who changed his mind? Well, uh... My son wasn't too happy about the deal, and I think he
3: changed Haberman's mind. When did your son tell you that you either fired Haberman or he would leave the company?
4: What? Why? No, 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 no! Don't I... get all ins- insulted and abusive. We know your son did tell you that.
6: Patricia, if you— Your did... daughter had nothing to do with our knowing that, Mister Wright.
4: Ah, uh, let's not argue about it. It is true, isn't it? Yes. And what did you decide?
0: Well, go on, answer. Well, I—I I hadn't made up my mind. I. I sort of
4: hoped that things would work themselves out. And they have, sir. First by the death of your son, and next Haberman. Both troublesome elements removed within a week. Surely you don't... Th-
3: you
0: can't think that I'd connive in the death of my own son. Patricia, you... Yes, Father. You don't believe that I had anything to do with...
7: No, Dad.
0: And I don't either. Nor do Miss Knight and Inspector Faraday. Well, I... <clears throat> I'm glad of that, I... I'm glad, too, that you're coming to your senses and realizing that my boy's death was an accident.
4: No, Mr. Wright, your son's death was not an accident any more than
3: Haberman's was. But, well, who could you possibly suspect? Who stands to gain by both deaths? Why, no one. What about Armstrong?
0: Armstrong? But Armstrong... D- well, you mean that Armstrong was afraid that my son's objection to our deal and later Haberman's objection might cause a deal to fall through?
4: Exactly, Mr. Wright, and it's very easy to prove, that is. It hmm. will be easy. If you will cooperate. Oh, oh, certainly. I'll cooperate
0: in any way I can.
6: (laughs) You haven't been very cooperative so far,
4: Mister. I as well. I'll I'll do whatever you ask me to. Now we're getting somewhere. Now here's what we'll do. Phyllis, the inspector, and I will hide. Phyllis behind the curtains leading to the terrace. The inspector in a closet. Got it. And I'll get behind the door. Yes. Patricia will go to her own room. You, you, Mr. Wright, will call Armstrong in and tell him you're not going through with the deal. I'm quite certain his reaction will be enough to convince you.
0: Well, I, I don't think I'll find that difficult. I, I'd practically made up my mind to that anyway. All this... I is think to...
7: Armstrong is coming in the front door, hall. Oh, all
0: right, all right. Now,
4: quick, everybody, quick. Get set. You run upstairs, but you should want it. Okay, Wright, call him in.
0: Uh, oh, uh, <clears throat> that you, Armstrong?
2: Yes. Did
0: you want me? Uh, yes, yes. I I think, in spite of all the tragedy around here, that we ought to arrive at some definite conclusion about this transaction.
2: Well, I suppose you're right. I didn't want to hurry you or seem aggressive with all the things that have happened. Yes, yes, I understand. But it is an excellent opportunity, and I know you'll make a mint out of it. I'm not
0: going through with it, however. Uh, what? I'm not going through with it, Armstrong.
2: Oh, you're not, a... Well, that's what you think. What was that you said? I said that if you think you're going to back out now, you've got another thing coming. Oh, wait a minute. You're not leaving me holding the sack. I've obligated myself for those properties, and you're going to buy them. I'm
0: most certainly not going to buy them if I don't want to. And maybe this will persuade
2: you.
4: Put
0: that gun down, you fool. Drop
4: it on strong.
3: (laughs) The next time, be faster. What is this? Is this a trap? In a way it is, yes, and apparently quite a justifiable one.
4: I must apologize for the gunplay. And I must apologize for being quite slow and somewhat blind.
3: Blind,
6: Mike?
4: Yes. Yes, I should have noticed long before this that Mr. Armstrong was left-handed. I didn't, however, until he whipped out that gun of his with his left hand.
6: Left-handed?
4: Yes, Phil, left-handed. What What does that matter? I've been left-handed all my life. Yes, Armstrong, left-handed. I think you can produce the evidence now, Inspector. Right, Mike. You ever see that weapon before, Armstrong? Where did you find
3: it? In the haylock.
4: That's where you hid it. Isn't it, Armstrong? Okay, Inspector. I don't think we'll get any more argument out of him. You ready, Armstrong?
2: Uh, yes.
7: You want some more coffee,
4: Inspector?
3: No, thanks, Phyllis. Mmm, that was an excellent dinner. <laughs> oh, say that again.
4: Angel's a good cook. Flatterer. As well as being good at, uh, poetry <clears throat> <artery> reviews. Oh.
6: <laughs> say, that left-handed business, I've been turning it over and over in my mind. I don't see what on earth Armstrong's being left-handed had to do with the case at all. Hmm? Well, I thought perhaps his being left-handed was, well, responsible for him nailing the horseshoe on the club the wrong way.
4: Oh, no, Angel. No. That was just the inevitable slip that the murderer makes.
6: Well, then what was the left-handed clue?
4: When I remarked on Armstrong's being left-handed,
3: you repeated it after me, remember?
6: Yeah, sure.
3: Um, I I caught the look in Mike's eye and repeated it after
6: you. Well, yes, I remember that, too. It impressed me, but I didn't catch on.
4: Ah, then it impressed Armstrong, too. And he didn't catch on. He didn't know why or what we had in mind, and the inspector and I didn't give him time to find out. We played cat and mouse with him. Armstrong thought that his being left-handed was a clue. He couldn't figure out what it was. But our tone of voice convinced him that we had him dead to rights. And what he broke down? Smarty. Mm
6: -hmm. (laughs) It was nothing but playing up a guilty conscience.
4: (laughs) Right, Angel. One of the best weapons a private detective has. So let it be a lesson to you there, darling. And don't try holding out anything on your old man, Mike Shane. Or your good old conscience will get you.
2: Tune in again next week at 8.30 for another adventure with Michael Shane, Private Detective starring Wally Mayer and Kathy Lewis and Joe Forte as Inspector Faraday. Tonight's story was written and produced by David Taylor and based on the character created by Brett Halliday. Music was composed and directed by Bernard Katz. This is John Lang saying goodnight for the people who make 76 gasoline and Triton Motor Oil, Union Oil Company. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System.
1: And that's Michael Shane, detective, from April 16th, 1945, with the date at Cliff House, or The Left-Handed Clue, starring Wally Mayer. Also in the cast, Kathy Lewis and Joe Forte. John Lang doing the announcing, sponsored by Union Oil as heard on the Mutual Broadcasting System. Hope you enjoyed that. want to remind all of our listeners that this radio show has a Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for Hollywood 360 Radio. Right, Lisa? Right, Carl. I'd That's like, all you got to do?
5: Yeah, maybe you should do that Simple. sometime. Check it nah, out.
1: I don't want anything to do with social media or any of that kind of you stuff. You just don't
5: want to be social.
1: No. I, die
5: social, I'm Carl. just going to be
1: like this... Grubby guy in my little cave with my old time radio shows. You know that
5: book, The Worst Person in the World? Yeah. I just want to be,
1: you know, someone just. Bring me food and put it underneath the 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 door, door and I'm just like listening to my radio shows. That's all I want to (laughs) do.
5: You're gonna end up like that (laughs) 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 I can see it
1: now. I'm just gonna say that's it. Give me all my, give me all 100,000 of my classic radio shows and leave me alone. And and just just bring me a pizza once a day. You know, I you're not that far off. I just have my radio shows, maybe a little TV, and a little radio. You know, give me a newspaper once in a while, and then just don't bother me.
5: Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much who you, you are think? now. I'm probably turning into my brother, crabby right, brother. Vince. There you go. It's in the jeans. Oh, and then it'll gosh. be like
3: that twilight zone. You'll like go daft. Yeah. And then you won't be and able what, to hear oh, any of them just like
4: that twilight gosh. zone
1: show where he like broke his glasses he couldn't and couldn't read. All he wanted that's, to do was that's read. That's right. Time enough at last. It was called Time Burgess Meredith. And he was he loved to read, it's all he wanted to do. And then there was a nuclear holocaust and all that was left was him and a library, right? And he was so happy and then he trips and he breaks his glasses and he can never read any of the books. Oh man. That's me. Right? Yes. I'll go deaf and never listen exactly. to read. Oh my god. Oh boy, that's scary. Okay. Good
5: conversation. Gosh, scary. I'm a little
1: freaked out now. All right, let's listen to Fibber McGee and Molly. That'll calm me down. Fibber, McGee, and Molly is a nice calm funny radio show let's go back to a broadcast date of january 2nd 1940 on this show mcgee builds a doghouse with the help of gildersleeve i think you'll like this here's part one of fibber mcgee and molly
8: hi folks the program originally canceled for this time will now be heard (laughs) (laughs) and here it is the
9: johnson wax program with fibber mcgee and molly of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing blowcoat Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Jimmy Shields and Billy Mills Orchestra. <laughs> well, it's a fearful and a wonderful thing what a set of Christmas gift carpenters' tools will do for a guy who ordinarily couldn't split a shingle or pound a nail through a sponge cake. For instance, here at 79 Wistful Vista, one with a saw in his hand and the other with apprehension in her eye, we find Faber McGee and Molly. Oh,
8: boy, oh, boy. boy. This is a wonderful set of tools you give me for Christmas, Molly. I'm just itching to fix something.
10: Well, just scratch yourself and put that saw away.
8: (laughs) Hey, Molly, ain't that dining room table a little wobbly? Ain't one leg shorter than the others? No, dearie. No, no. It's all right. It looks to me it's like... It's wonderful.
10: Perfectly solid. But that leg... I, I never saw a table as substantial. Yeah, but look... Just girl... forget it, dearie. Shucks.
8: I bet if I sawed the three other legs off even, it'd take the wobble out of it.
10: Now, please, McGee, you tried that once with a coffee table, remember? I did? Yes, and the legs got shorter and shorter till we had to use it for a serving tray. <laughs>
8: Shucks, what'd you give me the tools for if you don't want me to use them? like giving a kid a new drum and then telling him to be quiet because Papa's got a headache.
10: Yes. Well, for heaven's sakes, you don't have to fix things, do you? Why don't you make something? Well,
8: what'll I make?
10: Make a bookcase. Make anything. Build a doghouse.
8: Oh, dog houses. That's kid stuff. I should waste those wonderful tools on a mutt mansion.
10: McGee. <laughs> Stop that. Huh? You're making big dents in that chair.
8: Well, this arm is loose. I was just hammering it tight. You see how it is now? You couldn't pull it loose with a tent. Oh,
10: now you see what you did?
8: (laughs) Good. Now I can take that chair down in the basement and really go to work on it.
10: (laughs) McGee, I won't let you do it. That
8: dreaded Molly, there you go again. Always holding me down. (laughs) Where would Rembrandt have been if his wife had complained about his paints always smelling up the house?
10: (laughs) Well, nevertheless, you'll have to use your constructive genius on something besides my furniture.
8: Okay, 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 I'll build a doghouse. What kind of dogs do you like?
10: Well, I think Pomeranians are cute. Or Pekingeses.
8: <laughs> you call them things dogs? <laughs> Why, they're so small a mama flea won't let the baby fleas go out and play because they might get Pomeranians on them. <laughs> I like a man's dog. Maybe an Irish setter. Or a wolfhound, Or a bugle? Beagle. Well, <laughs> Beagle
10: McGee, or... I don't care if you get a saint, roll out the barrel Bernard. <laughs> it's your doghouse and your dog.
8: Okay, Mrs. McGee. I'll start right away on the project. Now, let's see. <laughs> First, I got to call the lumber company and order some lumber. Hand me the phone. All right. Uh, hello, operator. Give me the whistle, Mr. Lumber Co... Oh, is that you, Mert? <laughs> McGee. How's things, Mert? You What'd you do on New Year's Eve, Mert? Oh, now, Mert, you didn't really.
10: Heavenly days. Now what?
8: What say, Mert? All drunk, eh? Oh. What? The neighbors called the police. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy.
10: Disgraceful.
8: What do you know about that, Molly? What? They were going to have a party at Mert's house, but they found the root beer was all drunk. Oh. Everything was so quiet the neighbors got worried and called the police. <laughs> oh, oh, hello, lumber company? This is Fibber McGee, 79 Whistle Vista. Say, I'm building a dog house and I want you to send me some lumber. Huh? No, no, a dog house for a dog.
7: <laughs>
8: yeah, get it right out of here, will you? Okay, Bloom. Thanks.
10: Well, thank goodness you're really going to do something constructive.
8: I'll say I am. This is going to be the doghouse of dog houses, A canine Taj Mahal. <laughs> I'm going to build it with a guest room in case Glowcoat wants to have a friend over for the weekend.
7: <laughs> Glowcoat? Yeah,
8: that's what I'm going to call our dog, Glowcoat. So he won't scratch. <laughs> I hate a mutt that has to keep rubbing and buffing himself all the time. <laughs> now, let's see. Where would I put that... Come in. Oh, hello there, little girl. Hi, mister. What you doing? Who, me?
11: Well, who'd you think, Pinocchio?
8: <laughs> don't be so impertinent.
11: Well, gee, I... Hmm?
8: I says, don't be so fresh.
11: Mm, you said impertinent first. <laughs>
8: Now, so what? What's the difference?
11: Well, <laughs> you'd sound awful silly, I bet you, if you asked the grocery man for a dozen impertinent eggs.
8: <laughs> dear, dear. That's kind of far-fetched, sis.
11: Not from our grocery. It's right around the corner. <laughs> hey, where'd you get the tools, mister? Where'd you get them, hmm?
8: <laughs> Santa Claus brung them. <laughs> Oh, yeah? <laughs> now listen, sis, I- I'm very busy today. What was it you wanted?
11: You want to buy a poem?
8: A poem? Who wrote it?
11: I did, I bet you. I write dandy poultry.
8: You mean poetry, not poultry.
11: What's the difference?
8: <laughs> well, you'd know if you ever tried to fricassee a sonnet. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sis, let's hear the poem
11: okay mister can I have some music with it
8: No read it raw
11: <laughs> righty title mm-hmm. my new year resolution oh, yeah. when every new year comes around folks say I always can be found with pen and paper on the table making up some peachy resolutions the very best that I'm ever able <laughs>
8: Hey, you got a, got a kind of a poetic Charlie horse in that last line, sis.
7: So
8: it, it, it sort of limps.
11: <laughs> <clears throat> Don't be impertinent. <laughs> to continue, I write down ten things I must do to start the year all bright and new. Then tear them up as is my custom, because I know darn well I'm going to bust them. <laughs> The end. You want to buy it, mister? No. Okay, I'll give it to you. Here.
8: Come on, mister. Now, here's where I'm going to build a dog house right here at the corner of the garage. Oh, See? Yeah. I'm going to build it with a big living room, a sleeping room, a dining room. A
10: dining room for a dog?
8: Certainly, and he's going to get plenty to eat, too. You know the old saying it takes a heap of liver to make a dog a home. Oh. Don't you get it, Molly? It takes a heap of liver Ain't to... funny, McGee. Oh, well. Dumb animals, dumb jokes. Let's see. Here, take one end of this tape, Molly. i Same to you, Grandma, but ain't you a little late? This is the second of January.
11: So what, Sonny? Better late than sober is what I always say. (laughs) Whoopie! What do you always say?
8: (laughs) I always say age before beauty, but you're the first one I ever seen that got it that way.
11: (laughs) A snappy one, Skippy? Yeah,
8: I'm pumping them in there tonight. Oh,
11: boy. Here's a toast to New Year. Friends, may
8: I... Uh, hey, look out, Grandma. Look, your cigarette. It's burning... What?
11: In... What's that? Oh, ouch. Doggone it, I burnt the toast. Oh, well...
8: 1940 would introduce a lot of wrinkles But I didn't expect them to walk right into our own backyard
10: <laughs> Well, come on, McGee, get busy The doghouse, remember? Oh,
8: yes, the doghouse Well, in the first
9: place, I well, got hello a hello new... there, Molly and Fibber What goes on?
10: Oh, McGee is building a doghouse, Mr. Wilcox
9: What kind of dog have you got?
10: Well, he hasn't got one yet
9: I ain't quite decided what kind I think you ought to have a good hunting dog Would you be interested in a pointer? Oh, boy, I sure would. You know anybody that's got a good pointer for sale, Harlow? Well, I'll give you one, free.
4: Oh, Oh, how wonderful.
9: Don't forget to use Johnson's glow coat on your kitchen linoleum, because when a dog tracks dirty in it, it can easily be wiped up with a damp cloth, you know. And his claws, his claws won't scratch a floor that's glow coat
8: protected. Say, that's a good idea. Sure.
9: And you know how easy it is to use Johnson's glow coat. Just pour a few drops on the floor and spread it around, and it dries to a beautiful gleaming luster in 20 minutes or less.
10: Well, we'll certainly do that, Mr. Wilcox.
8: Yeah, well, when can I see the dog, Harlow? What dog? I thought you were going to give us a pointer. I just did. Use Johnson's glow coat. (laughs)
9: That's the finest pointer I could give anybody. So long, folks.
8: I'll be a series of dashes. (laughs) I would like to get a hold of a good pointer, though, Molly. I had one years years ago, you know. Oh. Old Matt. Matt? Mm Mm-hmm.
10: I suppose you called him Matt because he was always laying in front of the door.
8: (laughs) No, his real name was Man About Town, but I just used his initials, (laughs) M-A-T. Matt was the smartest pooch I ever seen. He used to sit in the wings of the theater when I was playing vaudeville and watch my act.
10: Well, he was not only smart, but courageous.
8: <laughs> well, sir, one day in the middle of my act, who should come walking out on the stage but Matt? He just stood there, stiff as a board, nose pointing out into the audience, tail out straight like a ramrod.
10: What did the audience do, put his hat on and go home?
8: <laughs> just then a guy in the third row stood up and gave me a Bronx cheer, a raspberry. Imagine a dog sensing that.
10: What do you mean, sensing that?
8: He was a hunting dog, and he knew I was going to get that bird. Oh, uh... <laughs>
10: Wait a minute, McGee. Look who's coming around the house.
8: Uh-oh, Mrs. Uppington. The quick trick in clubs. <laughs> right.
10: Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. How do you do, Mrs.
3: McGee and Miss McGee?
8: Uh, hi, Uppy. Uh, how do you like the beagle pavilion I'm building? Oh,
3: the
8: is, dog that,
3: house. is that what that is? Uh. Well, I thought it was... Oh,
11: oh. Well, I, I just thought I'd drop by and give you my best wishes. <laughs> now, stop me if you've heard it, but yeah. <laughs> well,
8: thanks, Uppy. And to coin a phrase, the same to you.
10: And if I may phrase a coin, E pluribus unum. Oh, oh how delightful. Phrase a coin. Yes.
8: Right. Well, how'd you celebrate New Year's Eve, Uppy?
10: Well, my young nephew, Fathering Hill Uppington, was home from college, oh. and he took me to the most delightful place. I don't quite remember the name of it, but I think he said we were going to a place called Tom and Jerry's for some Jack and Charlie's. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, dear. Oh, McGee and I had a wonderful time, too. We had a wrong side table at a nightclub.
8: Ringside, Molly. There was nothing wrong with that table. In fact, we were so close to the orchestra, I let the clarinet player cool my coffee.
1: (laughs) And that's the first portion of Faber, McGee and Molly from 1940. We'll get back to Hollywood 360 after these words.
0: More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360.
1: Next time here on Hollywood 360, we'll tune in to the conclusion to Fibber McGee and Molly from 1940. Then it's Suspense starring Jackie Cooper in The Clock and the Rope from 1947. You won't want to miss that. Lisa, Mike, and I will be back on our next show. We'll see you then.